Yeah. Eh. What's the matter, Doc? I'm tired. Why would that be? What time did you stay up till? Uh, one o'clock. See, I feel like coming over there with a rolled newspaper. What did you do? What did you do? And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an early morning episode of Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I've managed to poke and prod Dr. Bill Robinson enough so that he's awake and with us as well. Well, he's with us. I'm not so sure about how awake he is. That always makes me think of uh, one of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons that had like the uh, hillbilly bears. I think that's what it was called. And the the father would always be in a chair and he'd be sleeping with a hammock. And and then damn kids always playing guitars. (laughs) I don't think he used the word damn, but whatever. I think even when he normally talked, it was very... Mumbly? Yes. I think you're right. But it was, but he, all, all I actually have a, an actual memory of is him like laying there sleeping Guitar. and being woken up by... Uh, that's one I can't say I've seen much of. But I do have a recollection of it. Was that on the Banana Split show? Possibly, I was a, I was a fan of uh, the Banana Splits back in the la, day. La 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 I was a big legal fan. Flegal is that the one that looked like the dog? Yeah, that's the one. Well, I guess he was a dog. It was Flegal, Bingo, Drooper, and Snort. Oh, that's uh, right. That was in the song. Yeah. And it was Flegal was a dog. I think. It was like was, a, I think Drooper was a do- no Drooper I think was a lion. Well, there Bing, was a, Bingo was a, a, a gorilla. There, yeah, there was a snort yeah. was a, a an elephant. An elephant. Not to be confused with the New Zoo Review. No, well, the New Zoo Review I think I think was geared more towards even younger children. Hey, I watched it. <laughs> At one time, you were a younger child. That had an owl. A pig, but that also had human. Was it just an owl and hosts, a pig? Didn't it? Yeah, yeah, human hosts. You make it sound like it's a horror show. But but it's, there was there hosts. <laughs> <laughs> but there, ah! I don't think there were any actual people on the Banana Splits. Banana Splits Adventure Hour, also known simply as Banana Splits, is an American variety show produced by Hanna Barbera Productions, featuring the Banana Splits, a fictional rock band composed of four costumed animal characters in red marching band hats and with yellow plumes. The costumes hosts uh, of the show are Flegal, guitar and vo- vocals, which 
obviously uh, I do remember being Paul Winchell. Uh, mm -hmm. Bingo, drums and vocals. Drooper, bass and vocals. And Snorky, not Snork. Mm. Uh, keyboards, effects. The series ran for 31 episodes on NBC Saturday mornings from September 1968 until September 1970 and in syndication 1970 to 1982. The show features the Banana Splits as a live-action costume characters who host both live-action and animated segments within their program. The costumes and sets were designed by Sid, Sid and Marty Croft, and the series sponsor was Kellogg Serials. A feature-length comedy horror film adaptation called The Banana Splits Movie prepared at the San Diego... Comic-Con on July 18th, 2019, and released worldwide August 27th, 2019. Now, I never heard anything about that movie. <laughs> well, now, if anyone's wondering about the New Zoo Review, the New Zoo Review was an American half-hour children's television show that ran in that ran in first-run syndication from 1972 to 1977. I didn't realize it was that long. The 196-episode musical comedy format show conveyed the concepts of cooperation and guidance for living in contemporary society. Hmm, if only we had something like that now. Each episode dealt with a topic such as moving away, courtesy, bragging, or patience. Though hosted by humans, Doug and Emmy Joe married in real life, Doug Momary Mo, Mo and Emily P Pedin. The show featured costume full-body puppet characters, primarily Freddy the Frog. Oh, I forgot Freddy the Frog. Freddy the Frog, Henrietta Hippo, and Charlie the Owl. The show received awards and recommendations from the National Education Association and the National School Board Association. Uh, oh, this doesn't sound good. News Review was, was acquired from O Atlas Entertainment and the show's original creator, Barbara Atlas. The property is now owned by Frank A. O'Donnell, who is based in Las Vegas. Oh, I see bad things happening now. Vegas, baby. <laughs> the library continues to be licensed and broadcast by various networks across the U.S. Episodes can be viewed, and merchandise and DVDs of the original episodes can be purchased on the Internet. Now, there's a little thing that I did not know of. Did you know that Chuck Woolery was on that show? I did not. He played Mr. Dingle. And who is who exactly is Mr. Dingle? A friendly elderly postman who is also a shopkeeper and a jack of all trades. Mr. Did Dingle. not know that. Oh, she played Miss Goodbody. She was a nosy neighbor. <laughs> no, no. She Composer Zanaya on the top. <laughs> Before being adapted for James Bond. Composer, oh, guest stars. Henry Mancini made a cameo appearance. Actor Jim Backus of Mr. Magoo and Gilligan on Gilligan. Oh, Magoo. Oh, you've done it again. Yet. Jesse White, best known as the original Maytag repairman, guest yes. starred. June Lockhart, also uh, guest starred. Uh, oh, Lost she, in Space, Pedagogue yes. Junction, and many other shows. Guest starred in the episode Shyness as Penelope Potter, <laughs> a very shy woman. Richard Dawson was on Dickie there. Dickie Dawson. Did he kiss everyone? Uh, he he starred in the time travel episode as a knight from medieval England. 
See, now, this is going to be a little obscure, but anytime anybody says Richard Dawson, I think Richard Dawson, feh, because that was actually, he guest starred on uh, one of the very last episodes of The Odd Couple, which I've mentioned many times is my favorite mm -hmm. show ever. Uh, and, and apparently, like, the storyline that they gave was that he and Felix Unger had a, uh, or Felix Unger had, a, had kind of a feud against him that he didn't even know about uh, because they knew each other back in the war. And uh, so Oscar mentions Richard Dawson. It's Richard Dawson. <laughs> but any, anyway, that's what I think every time I hear his name. Gotcha. And Joanne Worley was a guest. Uh... Joanne Worley, I always found to be like, annoying, like like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> She's like the female Charles Nelson Riley, but not funny. And yet Charles Nelson Riley, I find to be very funny. I, I, that's why Although I said a, it like as a kid he was nails on a chalkboard <laughs> yeah it's, it's only like as an adult that I find him amusing it, yes because I think I found her amusing as a child but now I'm just like Ugh. I remember uh, watching Laugh-In as a kid and cringing when she was on <laughs> please, please don't speak <laughs> <laughs> so there we go that is our that is our 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 Flashbacks to children's. How did we even get on the? Oh, how did we get on to the banana splits? Uh, did I just because you were mumbling and I and we were talking about? Uh, the, uh, oh, okay, the, all right, yeah. Hillbilly bears and I. Now, but that is when I looked on the banana splits, they were not. Were they so on? I'm, I'm going to look them up now. I remember. I remember Adam Ant being on there. Yeah, it said it mentions. It mentions them. Now, Hillbilly Bears uh, is an animated television series by Hanna-Barbera, which aired as a segment on the Adam Ant slash Secret Squirrel show from uh, October 2nd, 1965 to September 7th, 1967. Mm, there are, yes. well, there's, there's a decent number of episodes. There's 26 episodes. <laughs> Looking at the last one, just the description. Maw, M-A-W, tries to wake up Paw, P-A-W, from his between naps rest period so he can go to the store for her. Then music producers offer Paw a lifetime music contract after hearing him play the guitar in the store. I'm going to have to look these up on YouTube because I'm probably going to find them amusing. Uh, the voices are Don Messick, Henry Corden was Paw, and Henry Corden at one point was Fred Fred Flintstone. Oh, he took over as Fred Flintstone after Alan Reed died. Yeah. Uh, Gene Vanderpile was Ma. And Paul Fries was Claude Hopper. You can't talk cartoons of the 60s and not come up with Paul Fries somewhere. It just, it just does not seem possible. No. That what the heck? What's that? No, when I had typed in. Uh, okay, I don't. Maybe there was an episode about kidnapping on the news review because it's like I typed in news review and one of the options that came up was kidnapping and I'm just like, what? <laughs> the, the, the entire cast has been kidnapped. <laughs> Freddie the Frog went insane. <laughs> I I did I did put. I punched up the Hillbilly Bears on YouTube. It does appear that there are episodes. 
and uh, I'm gonna have to check it out. That's all. <laughs> That's all there is to it. <laughs> but we're not here to do that, although we do like to hit on pop culture whenever we can. We're here to talk some comic books, comic book goodness, and we're also going with the traditional format because when we were talking about this yesterday. Uh, we, we, we realized we all kind of missed the traditional format, which we haven't been doing as much lately. And some of that is due to circumstance. Some of that is due to just wanting to cover certain things. But whatever the case may be, today we are here with two random books. I hope my and book's it, random. I hope we haven't already done it. I don't believe we have. I don't think so. If, if, if it's been done, it was done before you and I were here. So. Well, I don't need, I mean, I could. I don't know that that counts. I could do the same book again because I'm just dummy. I'd be curious if we did the same book again, if like we would have similar. Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Well, well, seven years ago, you said it sucked. Oh, sorry. Well, we did. We did run that risk on uh, Listen to the Prophets when uh, when we did the not the pilot episode, the uh, the season opener when Wolf joined the crew. I think that was the fourth season opener because we had done that as kind of the pretend episode. For Star Trek Monthly Monday. Right. And then my attitude on that was, let's not listen back to what we did and let's see how they compare. Well, yeah. yeah, I I can't say I've ever sat and compared them. (laughs) Well, yeah, because one, you took it out of context of having watched everything up to that point again and have a different, you know, mindset. So, Well, I don't have any new comic book news. Uh, Scott and I went to a con a while back. We also went to another little show. Uh, it will that, be that was just a, to to let the listeners know there will be an episode of some, uh, or at least we think there will be an episode of some of the talk well, from that. Well, Scott recorded some stuff, and 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 that episode may have already appeared, or it may be coming in the future, or it may just. Once, once listened to, we may decide, yeah, that's not worth putting out there for anybody. <laughs> so one of those three things will happen. Yes. You'll hear something. You'll hear nothing. Or it'll get lost. I don't know. Yeah, it'll be one of those. Yeah. Anyway, so so continue. No, no. Oh, uh, we went to, there was another small collector's show. I'd never been to one of these. It's not a convention it was only ten bucks to get in. I took uh, Ben went with me, and Ben buy ended up buying more stuff than I did. I bought like two or three dollars worth of comics, and Ben bought. I think he bought a Nintendo game and a Funko Pop. Yeah, so. I, you know these Funko Pops are killing me because I said I'm not going to buy these, and now I probably have about two dozen of them. Maybe I got more. about I don't I got know. about six. I'm very selective with my Funko Pops. I started selective, but now you know I'm waiting in October. <laughs> I even pre-ordered three. Uh, in October they they have uh, the Godfather coming yeah. out. So so I have the uh, Don Corleone, Michael Corleone, and Sonny Corleone are all coming to me in in, <laughs> in October. But uh, you know I also have the. I, I, I seem to like to get them, or I seem to, I, I've developed a preference that I get them in groups that I could put, you know, put them together. You know, I have a Kirk and a Spock. I have uh, Mr. White and Jesse from Breaking Bad. 
Uh, I have Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. You know, and Thor, uh, Captain America's got the Thor's hammer, and Thor has the axe, and and Iron Man is down on his knees with the Infinity Gauntlet. So it's the End Game trio. Oh. Uh, I have Hulk, Submariner, Doctor Strange, and Silver Surfer together. Uh, and then yeah. and then I bought the scene because it's got the little set with it of Spock in the uh, engineering room and and Kirk outside with the two of them on the two sides of the glass from from uh, from from what you call it, from the Wrath of Khan. I'd, I, now I, with, to put along with that, I have to get a Khan. I've seen Khan from Space Seed, but I haven't seen Khan from the Wrath of Khan yet. Yeah, I'll Ben picked up the, with the Khan from Space Seed for me, and I think I picked up along the way the the, the Taskmaster from. Um, from the comics, the original, um, from like what is that, Avengers one ninety six or something? I think mm-hmm. one ninety four. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. It's somewhere in the one nineties. So um, I got a rocket raccoon. I got a little Chewbacca. I got the Chewbacca in the. Uh, um, How you doing, Chewbacca? <laughs> <laughs> I got the Chewbacca in the uh, the at at was one the kids got me. Hmm. Um, and I have the con, uh, which I think I already said that. I have dog meat from um, Fallout, from the Fallout series, uh, game, games. And uh, I think Rocket Raccoon. And, oh, and I got a Cara Dune. Oh, I also have uh, Hooper, Brody, and uh, Quint. <laughs> I keep them oh, yeah. together. Yeah, don't you have... Do you have the boat, too? I don't have the boat. I have, uh, you know, and you know that these are made for people our age because I have Alfred Hitchcock. Uh-huh. You know, no kid is buying Alfred Hitchcock to play. Oh, look, I'm Alfred Hitchcock. I'm walking along. <laughs> yeah, no kids are singing, humming the theme song. But they, they are, they are. You, you would think that they would be a passing fad at some point, and people I've talked to in stores have said you know you know owners of stores that i um, that i know uh some of them have said you know yeah i kind of resisted it thinking it was going to be a passing thing and i didn't want to invest too much money in it and then it's just become such a big thing that you know you, you pretty much have to <clears throat> anyway so comic book wise i have with me today rom space night number 24 Rom 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 rom. That is what Lady Gaga was singing about. She was a huge comic book fan. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, Rom number twenty-four was released on August eleventh, nineteen eighty-one, and has a cover date of November of nineteen eighty-one. It's written by the great. Well, actually, it's got two writer credits: Bill Mantlo and Mark Grunewald. Uh, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Joe Sinnott and Al Milgram, colored by Ben Sean, lettered by Jim Novak, and edited by Al Milgram and Jim Abel. The title of the story is No Place Like Home. And the synopsis, which, as is my general want, I'm stealing from Marvel's Wikipedia, Mm. reads as follows. The Skrull saucer that Rom borrowed from the Fantastic Four emerges from hyperspace. 
Ram scans the heavens for any sign of Galador's twin sons, but sees nothing, and frustrated, he believes himself lost in space. A flicker on the view screen catches his visual receptor's attention as a number of objects approach. These are soon revealed to be skimmer-mounted siphon warriors led by Powerhouse and the young Nova, Richard Ryder. They immediately fire upon the Skrull saucer, which has invaded Zandarian space, and Ram, his rocket pods now repaired, comes forth to deal with his attackers. Powerhouse attempts to drain Ram, but is himself trained by the Galadorian armor. Nova attacks and is swatted away as Ram pronounces himself not a Skrull, but from Galador and most recently Earth. This brings a stop to the fighting, as Nova wants an explanation. Ram tells of his mission and the evil shape-shifting dire wraiths. They then proceed to Xandar to see Queen Adora and find if Xandarian living computers can locate Galador. As they talk, the mile-long ship bearing the Nova Corps arrives. A welcome is prepared and a party beams to the surface, only to reveal themselves as dis disguised Skrulls who immediately open fire on the populace. Ram battles the Skrulls as Nova attempts to find the real Nova Corps. He, he approaches the ship only to see that Diamond Head has betrayed the Corps and is now targeting him. Nova rams the ship, opening it to the vacuum of space, instantly killing the Skrulls present. He then confronts Diamond Head and thrusts him into deep space with his allies. Nova then uses the phaser to bring the Nova Corps back in phase and release them. They then return to Xandar to find Ram and the populace, led by Queen Adora, battling the remaining Skrulls. The rest are soon mopped up and sent back in defeat to the Skrull homeworld. Richard Ryder is returned to Earth minus Nova powers. The Protector is able to ascertain that Galador has been moved and Ram is soon sent to find out how and why. Back on Earth, the fog continues to waft, to waft through Clareton, entrancing all it touches. Ooh, spooky. So, I think, you know, we've we've said in the past, I, I'm, I know Scott and I were both fans of Rom. I really don't know how you fell on it, if you read it or not. Uh, I was familiar with Rom. I've, I've, I've actually have all the issues. I was able to track them all down, and I still haven't had a chance to read it yet. I mean, I remember... The uh, um, I've I've read okay I have read more of his appearances in other books than I have um, the actual original book. And yeah, I don't all, think he appeared and in that also other books. So it couldn't be too many issues. Well, I, well, he was in um, or references to him. Maybe not direct appearances because there was the whole um, dire wraiths were all over the place um, in the late 80s, especially, I remember in the X-Men books. I think, and I'm not sure about this, because by the late 80s I really wasn't reading regularly, uh, but I think they Cause didn't did some sort of explanation that the Dire Wraiths were some sort of offshoot of Skrulls because they were shape-changers also. Yeah, but they were like, and they knew magic too and stuff like that, or did they all, all did they always no magic i don't know <laughs> I'm not well sure because there was because i think the gun that forge made was like a came out of rom's 
gun. Remember the gun that Ford made that took away powers? I thought there was some link to that, that like he reverse engineered something and created the gun. I do remember gun. the gun, but I don't remember how how they, you know, what kind of explanation they gave. Because for there's this whole thing that like Val, character Valerie Cooper was a dire wraith at one point in the X-Men, in the Uncanny X-Men. But I don't remember how, because didn't the dire wraiths, when they took over somebody's form, didn't they kill the original person or did they shunt them to limbo? I think that they were a little inconsistent on it, but I, I mm-hmm. think for the most part, yeah, they killed them. Because, because then later in the books, Valerie came, came back, and I'm like, but but then again, maybe when she came back, she was Mystique, so I don't know. I I'm know. pretty sure if my memory is right, uh, you know, Rom's uh, human love interest was Brandy, but she also had an Earthbound <laughs> boyfriend. And she, was a fi- she was a fine girl. I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> But anyway, uh, she had an Earthbound boyfriend, and they didn't do it in the traditional, oh, he has to hate Rom, whatever thing. Like, he actually almost became an ally, and they were they had the love triangle thing going. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that at some point, the Dire Wraiths took his body and killed him. Great. Now I just did, I, a whole par- remember right. I did a whole parody song for... Uh... <laughs> my oh, life, somebody's, got, my love. somebody's got to sing it. <laughs> She she was a fine girl. Well, they eventually worked that into the MCU with, uh, you know, in when they did it in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two, that song was in. Oh yeah yeah yeah. But um, uh, I also read the when they when Marvel tried to relaunch. I think I have four out of those five. Uh, it was a five issue miniseries where they did like the Space Knights. Like they couldn't use Rom. But they could use certain portions. They could use Galador, and they had the Galador Space Knights, and it was. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. they could use everything that they created, but the yeah. character of Rom, which was only you know we've talked about this in the past, you know that was a a, a toy that mm-hmm. they were told to uh, you know create a comic for, or they were paid to, to pay, make a comic for, and Bill Mantlo, from what I understand, came up with the entire backstory. So the backstory didn't belong to Hasbro, I think. Uh, but Rom did. So now I, they couldn't use him, but they could use every other element that he came up with. I was surprised to see the torpedo here. Because yeah, he became a uh, he became a, a hero. A regular, well, yeah, he, he, was, he 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 became a regular supporting character in Nova's book towards the end. Oh, well, because I remember him. I think the first time wasn't he originally a villain or was the guy that played him in because he was in Daredevil, right? You're talking about Comet, aren't you? Oh, no, you're talking about Torpedo. Yeah, he was... Yeah, because he's in the background. Where is... I'm just looking for him on the... Uh, oh, he's he's towards the serious. Yeah, he uh, he was originally introduced in Daredevil. If I remember right, he was kind of a villain, but not really. And then uh-huh. they, they... You know, towards the end, they, they had... he. I think he even had an issue of Marvel Premiere or Marvel Spotlight, you know, dedicated to himself it- as... And, and then he becomes a supporting character in this. And he gets killed in this, too. And then somebody else takes up the mantle briefly, maybe. I don't know. Brock Jones, a former professional football player, donned the torpedo armor at the request of a dying Michael Stivak, the former torpedo, ah. and eventually used its technology for good. He clashed with Daredevil, who was pursuing the original tornado, torpedo, and in the aftermath of their battle, decided to retire from superheroics. 
His life as an insurance salesman didn't satisfy him, however, and he picked up the mantle once more, teaming up with Daredevil to take down the chameleon. Jones was one of the group of adventurers who temporarily joined the Defenders for a single day, but left the team along with most of the other new recruits at the end of the day. Jones later moved to Clareton, Virginia, where he met Rom Space Knight, and they battled the Rocketeers, who were dire wraiths in disguise. After learning of Earth's infestation with the dire wraith, Brock Jones became friends with Rom and protects Clareton in his absence. Jones was later killed in battle with the dire wraiths. Oh. I just thought that I just the whole torpedo suit is so in it because he flies with those little like ramjets that pop up around his wrists and his feet, if I remember correctly. And I always thought right, that was yes. a, I mean, the helmet's shit, but I always thought it was a cool idea. Yeah. Well, I think Nova and Ram in, in some ways both had, uh, you know, interesting stories to tell. Uh, I, as best as I can tell, I think they were both drawn by Sal Buscema, so that, you know, you have a little connect- mm. connection there. Uh, and both were canceled too quickly, kind of. Mm. But uh, I definitely enjoyed both series when they were coming out, and both of them kind of ended without them getting to totally resolve the storylines. <clears throat> Excuse me. This particular uh, group, you know, Nova and his friends, they wrapped up their story in here, but they also did it in that issue of the Fantastic Four where the Sphinx battles Galactus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, yes. You know, those were all like story threads that were hanging out there that had to get taken care of. I think the Sphinx thing happened before this. Mm. But, uh, you know, then then they brought this one and, and, you know, connected it with what's going on with Rom. Rom, I, in my opinion, was a really good series, but didn't get the you know, didn't have the legs that you wish it would have. And I think what they did around this time is I think they were regularly having, you know, guest stars uh, in the sh- in the issues, hoping that, that it's going to catch on. You know, the issue before this one had, uh, had what's called, Power Man and Iron Fist in it. Uh, you know, the X-Men were in some issues. I think that was really putting a push on it to get the X-Men in there. I think that was, you know, come on, please, look at this series. This is really good, and X-Men is so popular. I remember mm-hmm. Submariner being in it. I remember Shang-Chi being in it. I remember Doctor Strange being in it. So a lot of characters get starred over the, the run of the series. Uh, and and I do think that they ended this series on a, uh, you know, I think, I think they wrapped up the series. They were given an opportunity to actually wrap it up, and I think... Uh, you know, the character of Rom was able to finally shed his space knight armor and, and go back to a, uh, you know, a human type body. Yeah. So they don't ever have to, you know, story wise, they don't ever have to bring him back. They can they can just go with the space knights, like you said. Was that a three or a four issue? Mini? Do you know? I, I thought it was a five. I'm pretty sure it's a five. I may be curious to pick that up at some point. Let me see if I can look it up. But I just, you know, to go on about this one a little bit, I uh, I definitely enjoyed this run. I enjoyed this issue. Uh, the, you know, again, I, I kind of liked Nova. I liked this. And to, you know, to give a chance for Nova to 
to wrap up. Uh, I don't know if I liked the fact at that time, you know, that, that Richard Ryder was uh, shed, you know, shed of the Nova powers and sent back home. Because, uh, you know, I, I just felt like the character deserved a little bit more than that. But anyway, you know, that's that's what they did with him. And uh, just going through the issue a little bit, I thought the story was dependent on you having some familiarity with what's going on because there's there's a lot of stuff happening here it isn't totally confusing i think you can pick it up and understand it but i think to enjoy it you really need to have at least know who these characters are and what's going on uh, mm -hmm. the artwork is i would say typical sal Buscema. it's it's very clean uh the storytelling is good the pacing is good uh the, I guess the you know the only thing about Salbusema is a lot of his faces look very similar. Mm. Uh, yeah, but there's a lot of artists him. That, that. Oh yeah, no, it's certainly problem. not unique to him. I mean, even John Byrne, you could say that about uh, who you know we look at as being one of the all-time greats. So it's not necessarily a, a negative, uh, but I think Salbusema is a little bit more dependent on having an anchor who can just do a little something with what he's what he's given in this particular issue uh we, we've got joe sinnett and uh al milgram apparently doing it uh, joe sinnett's the only one credited in the story itself but the marvel wiki also names al milgram and i think he does a pretty good job with them i think uh you know it, it's got a similarity to what you saw from joe sinnett on fantastic four uh but it also kind of like it, it never loses its salbuseminess so I, I I do like the artwork here, and then there are some spots where where it gets a little bit more dynamic. Uh, there's a battle scene on page 17 that I think is pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's 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 very solid as far as I'm concerned. I think that's that's probably my best description for Salvi Sam's art is it was always solid. Uh, it, it was. It, it rarely went into the, like the really really high ratings, but it never went into the really low ratings. Mm. It was always I think I think you know at a minimum, on you find Salby Summer's worst books, you're gonna get a C. Uh, I think most of the time he hangs out in the B range, in my opinion. Again, this is just me, uh, and you know on on a rare occasion he steps up to the A. Did you get a chance to read this? I skimmed through it, and I and I'm, you know, I'm familiar, like I, uh, with the whole, like I'm familiar with all these characters in different locations, except you know, Ron, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with no, I mean, I mean, I have a touching, you know, I I know who Rom is, I yeah, know. no, I know, but uh, uh, real quick, I found it, so it's. I remember this. Okay, so the Space Knight series, the Space Knight series is a little weird because I think originally it was going to be, or it's a misprint, that it was going to be like the first issue says one of three, but then there was actually five issues. So like if you see, and it was like back in the 2000s, early 2000s. So if you see a, uh, um, like number one, I think has like one of three, but then there's actually five issues, so it's very strange. I guess that they started right. out expecting it to be a three-issue series, but as it started, you know, as they started to yeah. put it together, they realized that they couldn't do uh, justice to the story that quickly. But uh, that's that's I would suspect, and I've never read that. I would like to though. 
I would suspect that that's something you'll find in the cheap bins. I don't think yeah. that's I don't, I don't remember it being like, ooh, ah. It's kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll get this. It was one of those times when I had enough money to, you know, and comics weren't that expensive, uh, you know, 22 years ago. So they were expensive. 22 years before. ago, I was still old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, so uh, Richard Ryder uh, straight up murders a bunch of scrolls. Good for him. Well, they say <laughs> that the they say the scrolls are trying to change their shape to something that could survive in a vacuum. Um, but then later, when he pushes Diamond Head out of the ship, you know they talk about. Uh, Despite his struggles and his silent scream, Diamond Head joins his scroll collaborators in an eternal drift through space. But that doesn't even mean that he's dead. It just means he's just yeah. Drifting. I and, know. and I would I would suspect that that you know if they wanted to actually address this at some point, and they probably never did, but you could say that the scrolls were able to at the last moment change into non air breathing forms, and you could also say Diamond Head being made of diamond doesn't actually require breathing. Yeah. Yeah, they're dead. dead. They're going to starve to death. They're like Marley. Dead. Dead, dead. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, eventually, and, you know, I'm sure people are aware, you know, eventually Richard Ryder did get the Nova Power back mm-hmm. because it did, you know, he had, he had another series. I remember his series... I guess it was in the early 2000s. With maybe. when they relaunched the cosmic stuff. Yeah, when they did all yeah. of that, and I yeah, I, I guess I seem to remember it being pretty good, but I don't remember like specifics about it at this point. Mm. There's a lot it, going on in this book. Yeah, it, it is definitely dense. There's no question. Yeah, the original Nova series ran 18 issues, by the way. That's and it. Then, wow. And then it looks like uh, it started up again in 2007 and had, I'm not sure, had, it looks like it had 30-something issues, and then it restarted again in 2013 and had 30-something issues, then it started again in 2016. Well, that's I, I, that's The, re, the relaunches are annoying. That's... And then, it, it almost seems like... They'd be better off. I mean, it, it eliminates their ability to say number one issue or two thousandth issue or whatever stupid thing they want to promote it with. But it, it almost feels like they'd be better off if they just, instead of numbering it, just gave it the date. This is the November of 2016 issue. Well, that would be easier to track. It's easier to track. It's easier to, to store. I mean, you know, I had to, to put them in order and stuff. I had to finally buy the app that I have to sort my comics to figure out the Avengers because they kept relaunching the Avengers so many times and under different names, you know, new Avengers, Avengers and the mighty Avengers and, you know, the downtown Avengers and the, <laughs> the Avengers that live in a van down by the river. I mean, come on. Down by the river. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but th- that tendency of them for relaunching and rebooting and retconning is what eventually killed my extremely strong urge to put everything into continuity. Like that was one of you know, like a, a very significant oh, there's thing. There's no continuity. For me. There's no. There is. 
there's there's none because there is no continuity. Well, I mean, there used <laughs> to be continuity between books when you had a good editor, but now you know. I know people go, oh, you guys complain about modern comics, whatever. Or just, I, I'm not, I'm still talking about things in the 2000s that aren't modern comic books anymore. You know, this where that's, but that's, that's where things started to go wrong. Well, you know, so er, you constantly relaunch and then you get a new writer and, an, and a new art team. Now, granted, when books were going in a sequential order for years and years and decades, Yes, you would get new artists that and 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 new writers that did not sometimes didn't always follow what came before or did loosely. But it's almost like now with the relaunches, it's like we have a new team and we're going to tell our own story and we don't care what was going on before. We're taking it in this direction. And so if everybody's doing this with all these relaunches and there's no managing editor that oversees all the books and tries to tie it into a cohesive universe. I mean, I've read some books. I'm like, well, well, I know that that, okay, A is happening in this book and B is happening in this book. And both this A and B are like these these universe affecting events that you should see crossovers in these other books, not a mention. And then the other problem is because with the compressed storytelling, you can't, you know, with, with, uh, oh, excuse me, the decompressed to where it takes, you know, in a 12 issue run, you might have something that takes place, you know, so in real time and it's, it's, you know, the books come out in the span of a year, but it could only be like two days in the comic book universe. So how can you even have a, a cohesive universe like that? I mean, because we remember there's, you know, you would see in a Spider-Man. Well, it was the Korvac stuff, right? Yeah. They 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 would mention, you know, they they would cut to a scene of Spider-Man with his spider sense. Spider-Man? Spider-Man? You know, oh, something's really going, you know, you know, there was, there was, it was at least touched upon. Now, everybody's doing their own thing and nobody gives a shit. And you wonder why nobody wants to buy your books anymore. Well, what it, what it's done is, except when I read old books, which is probably ninety percent of my reading, maybe even more, uh, I no longer consider continuity. Mm. I, you know, if I'm re- if somebody says, "Oh, you need to pick up this series; it's good." Well, first of all, usually if they say that, it's something that kind of fits in with my, you know, my 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 reading tastes, uh, and it might actually feel like it goes with the continuity that existed but secondly if it does not i'm kind of ready to read it in a vacuum i I have been able to kind of compartmentalize myself in that respect so you're like a scroll yeah pretty much i'm like diamond head or whatever diamond back or whatever the hell his name is diamond back i think you're thinking of the serpent uh squad yeah that guy uh so yeah, I can, I can kind of get by that, but I still prefer the days when you had all you know everything kind of lined up and made sense. Well, I mean, like the things they've been doing in the X Men. So the X Men's got their own little pocket thing going on. That yeah, it may seem to affect you know they may have guest stars from other books over there, but as far as the other books concerned, 
I don't think they really mention what's going on in the X-Men books and vice versa. It's I think the only books that even have any universal wide continuity anymore is when is whatever their their event of the of the summer or the event of the month is the only time that you have any quote unquote continuity because their writers are forced to drag you know their books into the event yeah so i mean you know once again we've fallen into the trap of of ragging on new books but this is what we do (laughs) so uh back to yes as does the dog who's in the well (laughs) we we have a visiting dog over so it's making the existing dog not happy Mm. Well, the exist. We well, we have two dogs, and one one of them is just oblivious to everything and doesn't care, and the other one is like, "What the hell are you doing here?" Uh, so, anyways, uh, back to this book. I think that again, I think the artwork is is solid. I'm gonna say a B on the artwork. Uh, the cover cover is well drawn, but I also think it could be a little confusing. To somebody who's not into, I you know I think this story almost requires that you have. What's well, Al Al Milgram cover? Yeah, I think it requires that you have a. This, I think the story requires that you have a rudimentary knowledge of what's going on, and I think the cover kind of speaks to that. Uh, so you know, in considering truth in advertising, I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it up half a grade than I would, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it a B. Uh, I probably would have given it a C plus because I feel like it's a little, little, little hectic and whatever. But mm. but I, I I do think again, truth in advertising gets us to a B on that. The artwork, as I said, is a B, and the story I think Mantlo does a pretty good job of kind of pulling you along and letting you, even if you're not familiar with what's going on, feel like you kind of get what's happening or that you know give you enough that you could fake it. Uh, so I'm gonna say a B on the story as well, and I'm gonna just give it B's all around. Bees for Rom. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Rombie. Rombie, Rombie. Um, I'm skimming around. I will concur with your assessment with bees. I, I Killer no, bees. I see no fault in your logic. And it was, it was nice to see the torpedo again. Where my son is concerned, my logic is questionable. Since I, I'm definitely not giving an exact quote, but didn't Sarek say something like that? Yes, yes. That was in uh, Star Trek 3? Or 4? I think it was in 4. So, moving on to our next book. Oh, is... Did did Scott show up? Is he... If, oh, wait, I have a book! <laughs> Unbelievable! Well, I was going through I was having a hard time finding a book last night as always especially because I wait to the last minute but then I uh, I remembered something back in the recesses of my mind and I was like oh yeah you know what this this is this was still an interesting era so I'm gonna go with this and that's uh I I have uh JLA just just JLA, not Justice League, not Justice League International, not Justice League Quarterly, not Justice League Europe, not Justice League Task Force, 
not Justice League in a van down by the river, but just Jula. Jula. Uh, what issue is this? Forty-three. <laughs> I had to think for a second. We lost issue you number somewhere. <laughs> issue number forty-three is the was the kickoff of the Tower of Babel storyline, or Babel, depending on how you wish to pronounce it, which uh, was um, written by Mark Wade. Uh, penciled by Howard Porter, someone I'm not that familiar with, except, I think, for JLA. I don't really know what else he's done. Inkers is Drew Garachi. Garachi? Garachi? Yeah, I'm good with that. Colorist Pat. Letters Ken Lopez. (laughs) It's G-A-R-R-A-H-Y. Garai? We're good, we're good, we're good. Okay. An editor is Dan Raspler and Tony Bedford. And uh, in the cover artist is Howard Porter, Drew Garachi, and David Smith. And on the cover, we have uh, Ray Sagul. Also, I well, I mean, you know, this could be part of a salute to David Warner, who's no longer with us. The voice of Ray Sagul on uh, Batman, the animated series. So, Race, 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 whatever. Is walking, is. is walking through a uh, a a field of scarecrows with uh, all the Justice League uniforms, which is a very in- I, I it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I like it. It's very uh, it's not indicative. I mean, it's uh, I don't want to say it's you're, you're going to see this on the on the inside, but you know, the, anyway. So I, like Paul, am stealing the uh, synopsis, this time from the DC Fandom website, because I am a, we all know how long it takes me. God, it took me, you know, a half hour to find a book. It would take me a couple of days to write a synopsis. So the synopsis goes a little like this. Ray al Ghul is preparing his ultimate plan to decrease the human population on Earth and taking out the JLA at the same time. And he needs his daughter Talia for the mission. Ra's first step in the plan is to distract his greatest enemy, Batman, the detective. At that moment, Bruce Wayne arrives at his parents' graves, only to find that they are empty. Martian Manhunter is attacked by a missile that contains some nanobots that stick to his skin, causing his signal to disappear. Wonder Woman and a Flash arrive to investigate a fire in a forest in Germany, and they discover that John's skin is burning, causing the fire. Ooh. Meanwhile, at a UN conference, Plastic Man and Aquaman arrive to mediate disputes between Turkey and Rapistan. When assassins, referring to them as JLA targets, burst in. They douse Aquaman with modified fear toxin designed to make him pathologically afraid of the water his survival requires and shatter Plastic Man having first frozen him. Superman calls Batman for assistance but is ignored as Batman is still distracted by the search for his parents' coffins. With the League distracted, Ra's al Ghul proceeds to activate a device to turn the written word into Babel at the JLA headquarters. Manhunter, Plastic Man, and Aquaman are being tended to for their injuries when they realize that someone is targeting all of them. Seeing that Green Lantern has yet to make an appearance, Wonder Woman and Flash rush to his apartment only to discover that they're too late. 
Kyle is blind. The end. It's too late, baby. It's too late. Though we really did try to make it. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just talking to myself. This is not a song podcast. But maybe it should be. Yeah. I felt sorry for the... I did... If you think I'm going to say I feel sorry for the henchman that gets killed, eh, I feel sorry for that little tiger in the bag, in the little bundle, because the guy goofed up and he fed him chocolate and he and he killed like the. Uh, that is the I, I think is that the the Javan tiger is that a real tiger? Because I swear I want to say there's some link to the o- Omega Men here, but I could be totally off base. I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't know. research. I did not know. research it. Oh, hold on. I've got the page up here. Let me see if it says anything about it. Okay. While you're while you're doing that, I'll just start to pontificate. Apparently, this is uh, Mark Wade's first issue on the JLA run, following up. Uh, I guess Grant Morrison had done up to here. Yes. Uh, if I remember correctly, and that, and that was a, a very heralded run in the time at the time. I remember. Reading, reading Grant Morrison's run, and I'm not always a Grant Morrison fan because he tends to. to there was leave. some pretty cool, cool stuff in there. Yeah, but he tends to leave a wake of destruction, and <laughs> when he's oh, when he's man. done it, it doesn't seem like like things can pick up. But whatever, you know, it, it's. Uh, oh, I, I, I enjoyed cool that run also. I mean, it, I, it's a, it's an Earth Tiger. And and this this particular. Uh, you know this particular storyline, the, te- the Tower of Babel story, is is you know very well known. Uh, you know, well, among this comic is, fans. Well, this you know, this was kind of p- picking up from. Uh, well, spoiler if you haven't read it, this will kind of it'll be. Uh, oh, what was the what was the series that spawn this because of Batman when they reprogrammed Batman's brain when they um was it it's not I is it identity when they when they mind wiped Doctor Identity Crisis Identity Crisis when they mind wiped Doctor Light and Batman didn't want to go along with it and then they mind wiped Batman and then he developed this suspicion of the League and one of the things that came out of it was this, because what happens is race gets Batman's files and it's Batman's plans is what's taking out. It was all his contingency plans to stop the JLA if they went rogue. Right. And, and which actually leads to he actually has the satellite system, Brother Eye, which will, I think, is that in Final Crisis? Mm-hmm. I, or, I or that's correct. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I mean, this this is like laying some groundwork. I don't know continuity, where one person builds upon another and maintains a narrative. Yeah, no, I, I like this, and like I said, this is a very well known storyline because of all of that, and you mm-hmm. know, it, it's it's kind of the damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because on the one hand, I think it's a pretty cool story. On the other hand, other writers felt, well, we need to take this a step further and a step further mm. and a step further. It's kind of like that Dark Knight syndrome uh, yeah. that, that went too far sometimes. So I think you, you need to just kind of take this on its own instead of trying to compare it to what its legacy is. 
because uh, I'm, I'm not. Oh, yeah. I, I think this was a really good story, but I'm not crazy about its legacy. Because mm. I think it went too far. Uh, what do you know, think? I, of I, art. Oh, let's. I was going to get to that. I am not a fan of Alan Porter. Now, I was reading this when it when it came out, and I was reading it. You know, the prior run by Morrison, and I I was really enjoying what was coming out, but it was based more on the story than on the art, because the lines are very thick, the faces are cartoony, uh, some of the 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 body positioning is is almost like bordering on silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I could do without a lot of that, but but otherwise the story is really good, and I'll give Porter credit for being able to progress the story. Yeah, yeah the the layouts are good, but there's just some something with the art that it just it's a little off. Yeah, maybe it's too thick, too shadowy. I don't know. So while while I don't like the artwork. Like to sit and look at it. I'm not. I'm never gonna stop on a page of this and say, "Oh, look at this. I wish I owned this to hang up on my wall." That's never gonna happen with uh, anything that I've seen so far from Howard Porter. But on the other hand, it didn't impede my ability to read and follow the story. So I guess you got to give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. You know, some, sometimes when the artwork is bad, it's it it does influence, and you you start getting confused over well what happened there you know did this guy fire a gun or did this guy just fall down or what happened I don't understand mm-hmm. that never happens in this so storytelling wise I think it serves its purpose and it does a good job it's more just stylistically it's not what I like yeah yeah but uh, I'm just you know, scrolling through now looking scrolling 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 I'm scrolling. Ooh, so we connected the two books. Look yeah, there we go. Look at that, everybody. We, we hey. And and I, I you know I I guess this this particular series was the inspiration when they did uh, not this particular issue, but the entire series was more the inspiration when they when they animated the JLA. You know they 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 went with the origin story as it pretty much was by Grant Morrison. And they kind of went with, you know, the attitudes that we get here. There was a disconnect between Batman and the rest of the league to some extent. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think they built on a lot of the stuff that we saw here and, and that's kind of cool. The I animated think. series came out in 2000. I thought it came out before this, but um, maybe, well, maybe it did. Well, I'm, well, this this issue know. came out in two thousand. Oh yeah, yeah, this this did. I'm just trying but to. But this is already issue forty three, so. Oh, actually, yeah, it was like ninety something. Yeah. You looking so up I, the animated I don't, I don't know series? What the exact, yeah, I'll look up the animated series and. Just Ligua animated. I had forgot. So, when I the was animated reading series, it says original release November seventeenth, two thousand and one. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I had totally forgot that. Which, but it's kind of obvious now that the the. Okay, so when Flash and Wonder Woman are are trying to get this being that's in the forest that's on fire, I totally forgot that was the Martian Manhunter. Mm. And then I was like, oh, ew, it's John. Oh. See, the one thing is, uh, if you're, 
if you're going to attack John Johns with uh, fire, I don't think you need to go into Batman's records to figure that one out. Well, but... <laughs> yeah. Or, or even, oh, let's make Aquaman afraid of water. I think Ra's al Ghul is smart enough to figure out that one himself, too. Don't you think? Well, yeah, but Batman's probably got the, you know, he's got the good... I mean, Ra's could come up with his own... I mean, he's doing his own thing by making every everybody, you know, all the... Everything, uh... Everything in printed word and, like, video screens are all messed up and... But at least, I guess people are still able to talk to each other for now. But, uh... Yeah. No, that that, so, that 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 plan certainly has the ability to just destroy the world. Yeah. <laughs> True. Well, like when he when Clark looks at the at the at the Daily Planet newspaper, um, and everything is just gibberish. Sometimes when there's um, um, like headlines in comics, if you look real close, sometimes it is just gibberish. Like the headline might be in usual, you know, the correct um, um, wording, but then if you look real close, there's just gobbledygook Ooh. in the in the actual printed words. Gotta love the gobbledygook. Now the whole Tower of Babel, uh, if I remember my Bible stuff correctly, uh, I don't remember which God. Uh, was it not 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 God? Which king wanted to build a tower to the heavens and was having his people make it and make it, and then God came down and made it so that all the peoples couldn't understand each other, and then all the peoples dispersed throughout the world and spoke their different languages, and a barrier was put up between them. Right? Is that pretty much it? Uh, I got to tell you, my knowledge of it is minimal, but that sounds right. Something like that. I will trust that you are a biblical scholar beyond my ken. Well, hey, whatever I learned was what I learned in those those children's Bibles in the waiting rooms of doctor's offices. I think that's where I picked that up. Or sitting around in hospitals. (laughs) As, as As a small kid, not, you know, I mean, probably whatever, six, seven years old, I had one of those children's Bibles. And I actually found myself sitting and reading it. So I was yeah. a biblical scholar of sorts at that age, but, but yet uh, you remember nothing that has long since faded. <laughs> I think I, I read more, more of the New Testament stuff because I was a Bible snob. I was a I'm only reading the New Testament. I don't want to read this old stuff. I love I won't. I don't want to read stuff that's two thousand years old, not three thousand. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Guess, guess what book it's from? Uh, you got me. Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, that was that was worth it for the punch. <laughs> it's Bible forbidden. Bible forbidden. That guy still reminds me of Vincent Price. I don't know. Hmm. I know you don't go with that. Uh, I could see it. Maybe if you know. Uh... I cannot find who the king is. Oh, duh. Nebuchadnezzar, is it? No, it's Nimrod. Nimrod, duh. then he chased the X-Men later. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, we're starting to peter out here, so we might as well just move on. Do we have you have any other thoughts on this one, or you want to read it? Uh, I mean, it's uh, so the art. So yeah, the art tells a story. It the layouts are good, but I'm just not super fond of it. Um, that's a pretty shocking one when he goes to his parents' graves and the graves are empty but hasn't that been done before i mean, we see, i i know i've seen that more than once where somebody's somebody's stolen the bodies of my parents you, you know you think you'd maybe put them in a safer place uh, no no maybe just cremate them already i don't know yeah so you know what i kind of wait was that in darkest night did they bring his parents back in darkest night did you ever read any of that i don't think so oh so I'm going to give it a begrudging B. You know, C minus or C plus B minus, like right there on the cusp, right, right in the middle uh, for the art. The cover, uh, interesting concept. It's uh, it the I'll give the cover a B plus because I think his art style plays a little bit more into the cover with the darker, heavier lines. Um, and the story I will give, uh, the story I will give the story a B plus as well. Overall? Overall, a, uh, a flat B. Flat B. Yes. All right, so the cover, I think Porter's style does lend itself more to poster art than to... Cons- well, you know, it's funny because I'm giving him credit for being able to tell the story, even though I don't like the style. Uh, and then I'm saying, but he's more of a poster artist, which is just totally conflicting in theory. <laughs> uh, but but in this the, case, the, the, but in in this case, I feel like it does lend itself because I think the cover creates a poster image where the thick lines don't bother me as much. He doesn't have the facial expressions because uh, Rachel Ghoul is walking away from the reader, and you see very little of his face. So I'm not well, and- really bothered by that and the background in the sky is dark already so that lens the darker lines lens to the mood in the the cover foreboding and and almost you almost feel like it's ready to start raining or something i don't know exactly uh so yeah I, i do think you're right about that i think the layout for the cover is pretty cool so i i have no issue at all giving the cover a b plus the interior art on the other hand uh Again, I think the storytelling is good and the pacing is fine. It's really just a stylistic thing. So I'm going to give it a dual grade. I'm going to say if you are fond of this type of artwork, if you have no problem with this type of artwork, then this is a B. However, with my own personal stylistic choices, I don't feel that it, it lives up to that for me personally, so I'm going to drop it a grade and go down to a C plus. But that's really based on personal taste as opposed to quality. Uh, the story, I think it's a pretty cool story. I think it develops well. Uh, the cliffhanger of Green Lantern being blind doesn't really do a lot for me. I don't know. It, it doesn't make me say, oh, I need the next issue. Uh, on the other hand, but I think the story as a whole is pretty cool. So I'm going to say a, a B plus on the story, and overall I'm going to join you in giving it a solid B rating. So 
the last page where Green Lantern is revealed to be blind. Do you notice the two things on his shelf behind him? Is that a Mr. Spock? Well, yeah, there's 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 some that could be a Mr. Spock, and there is a B9 robot from Lost in Space. Okay, I didn't recognize the B9. Up there by the la- uh, by the lamp. In See, front he was of made blind shape. and also 12 years old. Because <laughs> that doesn't look like somebody. I think Green Lantern at this point is supposed to be about 20. Uh, it, that does not look like a 20-year-old to me. That looks like a 12-year-old. Anyway. Nah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I like when they put cool stuff like that in the background. Mm-hmm. Especially he's supposed to be, you know, kind of a, a, a geek to begin with. So that's cool. Anyway, I guess nope. that's All right. it so for... Where's, so where's What's Scott with his book? Yes, Scott, <laughs> Scott is, Scott is uh, hi, hiding off in... Uh, in Disney World somewhere. Or maybe Universal. I'm not sure where he was going to go this time. Yeah, well, Logan, Scott's younger son, works at Universal now, so I think he's been frequenting Universal more. Mm. Uh, my my friend Ken, you know my friend Ken, he was at Universal yesterday, and he sent me a, a picture uh, from one of the stores there, uh, you know, and there were a bunch of DC t-shirts. Oh. So that made that made you know some interesting thoughts because you know you know with the Marvel area and the uh, Islands of Adventure, they are prohibited from expanding beyond what they have. So I wonder if at some point they're going to say, you know what, we need our own identity and maybe line up with DC, especially since uh, the ownership of Warner Brothers recently changed. It might be something where it's ripe to be taken. So that's an interesting thought for the future, and I guess if we see more on that, we'll report on it accordingly when the time is right. Mm. Just food for thought. In the meanwhile, thank you, Dr. Bill, for getting up early and doing this. Oh, that's fine. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Mine won't work if I turn it on now, I don't think.